scripture tonight or today I just want to say if you have a Facebook we would like for you guys we encourage you to check in on Facebook say something about our pastors and how awesome they are or how much you love this service let your friends know where you're at this morning and so the scripture I had today is from Psalm 100 and it's verse 4 through 5 it says enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise give thanks to him and bless his name for the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever his faithfulness to all generations And when I read that, I thought, how good is God that his steadfast love endures forever and ever. So as we step into his presence this morning, I encourage you guys to just step in with thanksgiving and with praise in his house. Amen. Come on, let's put our hands together this morning. Just help me sing it out. Because I got a firm foundation, I rock the only solid rise and fall. Kingdoms once strong, now shaken. We trust forever in your name, the name of Jesus. We trust Expectations, our hope. 
a prayer in the middle of our service and we're going to call our prayer team down and you can come up for prayer for anything you have need of whether it's healing whether it's a decision you need to be making and you're needing wisdom um, whatever it is but I felt this morning that there were those of you that needed to have a miracle moment that needed a miracle in your life in your family's life in your business in your finances And that you just need a point of contact with someone this morning to pray with you. God is here. God loves you. He is a good God. He is a faithful God. He's a healing God. And whatever you have need of, we call you forward this morning and um, our prayer team. And come and touch God this morning. Run to his arms and see what he will do for you. God bless you as we continue to worship.
Church on a Rock. We're so glad you're here worshiping with us. In the back of the chair in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you plenty of opportunities to get connected through classes, small groups, and outreach opportunities. If you're a first-time guest, please fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you. You can either drop it in the offering or you can take it across the hall to the Connect Room where you'll receive a free gift bag. We offer Saturday night meals and snacks between Sunday services. And don't forget, the coffee bar is always open.
We are so glad you're here, and we hope that you know there's always a place for you at Church on the Rock. On Thanksgiving week, our regular Wednesday night service will be moved to Tuesday, November 24th with a Thanksgiving family meal from 515 to 615 in the Connect Cafe. You must RSVP for the meal by November 20th. It's $4.50 a person or $18 for the whole family. This Thanksgiving, we are reaching out to families in need with Project Hope. Our goal is to provide a full Thanksgiving meal for 15 families. If you would like to help donate, we need turkey, dressing, potatoes, macaroni and cheese, canned vegetables, fruit, rice and beans, cranberry sauce, cereal, oatmeal, box desserts, and rolls. Or you can donate $35 for an entire Thanksgiving meal for a family. Well, amen. Everybody doing good this morning? Amen. Great sense of the Lord's Spirit here this morning, isn't there? And I tell you, if you have friends that go to one of the other services, especially the second one, I'd invite them to come to this first service because it gives you the whole day to be with your family. It also creates space because most visitors usually come to the 1030 service. So uh, thanks for coming to this service. And um, I guess that's all the spiritual people come here, right? Early in the morning. Amen. You know, a couple things going on this week. In that insert, there's a lot of opportunities to get involved, to just be a blessing to our community. Different outreaches, so look at those and, and see if you can help in any way there. Also, again, our Wednesday night service this week, we don't have during Thanksgiving. We move our Wednesday to a Tuesday night. If you want to be a part of that meal, you have to RSVP because nobody wants to run out of turkey. Amen? I thought I'd get a bigger amen. Nobody wants to run out of turkey. Amen? All right. So sign up in the foyer uh, for that meal. And again, come Tuesday night. It's just a really neat service of worship. We have communion. If you have some, a praise report, a testimony, that's an opportunity to kind of share it publicly, publicly with the rest of the congregation. We're going to continue to worship the Lord with our tithes and offerings. You know, there's a scripture in Psalms 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. Young lions lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. A couple key words in there. There's taste, there's trust, there's fear, and there's seek. But first of all, when it comes to finances, this is one area you can taste and see that the Lord is good. Matter of fact, in Malachi, it says, when you return to tithe to the Lord, he says, test me now in this matter and see if I'll open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. So that's one area you can really kind of taste or test the Lord. Uh, is there any satisfied customers out there? And I really want to communicate this from not somebody that's on staff or uh, like a paid political announcement, but from a satisfied customer. Because I was in a hole, and I saw God just lift me out of that hole, especially when I just begin to obey His Word. But if you tithe, that's saying you trust Him. And I know there's a fear that comes in, but hopefully the fear of the Lord will override that. But override that. But the thing you need to do is you need to seek the Lord in this area. You need to get in His Word and find out what He has to say. As a matter of fact, we got some little booklet's called Learning About the Tithe. It's all scriptures in there. It's in the Connect Room. You can stop by there anytime and get that because you need to see what the Lord has to say about it because He wants to bless you, right? You just need to do it His way and it'll all work out. Amen? You know, we also not only try to do as much as we can in our community to be a blessing, but as you know, we send mission teams all out over the world. We had one come back from Mexico. Just had another team just come back from Haiti, did some construction work, and let's see what they did on the video.
Or is it something more? 2,000 years ago, the church was born. It wasn't made up of the famous, the rich, or the powerful. It was made up of everyday people who passionately believed in the message of Jesus. It was the beginning of a revolution of love and freedom that would change the world forever. In 369 AD, the church built the first hospital as a place to care for those who cannot care for themselves. Today, the church is the largest single provider of healthcare in history. The church was the first to stand up for the rights of children creating the first and largest orphanage system in the world. 100 out of the first 110 universities in America were founded as Christian institutions. Places like Harvard, Dartmouth, Yale, and Princeton. Much of the world's greatest art, architecture, literature, and music has been shaped by the church. But the impact of the church isn't just ancient history. Today, the church is stronger than ever and continues to impact every corner of the world. Over 300,000 churches in America and almost 5 million churches around the world stand ready to be instruments of change, to do what governments could never do. Every day, the church brings food and fresh water to millions of people across the world. It has a renewed passion to help widows and orphans and fights to free slaves in every part of the world. It stands ready as a first responder on the scene to provide relief for victims of disease. The ripple of Jesus' impact can be clearly seen and felt in the church today. And it's made up of people like me and you. Today, you didn't just come to a building. You came to a revolution 2,000 years in the making. The world is facing as much trouble as ever. But we are not afraid. 
We were created for such a time as this. We will continue to do what we've always done. Proclaim the message of Jesus to help a world that needs him so desperately. Welcome. 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 Welcome to church. Praise the Lord. Well, tell your neighbor, you are the church. Come on now, just look around and tell somebody, you're the church and I'm the church. The church is not a building. The church is not a place we go to. This building is like a big sheep shed, and we come together as the body of Christ. And I found as a young man when I was in the Navy, everywhere I went, I found the church. When I was trained in Millington, Tennessee, I found the church through a group called the Navigators, and they discipled me. They helped me begin to put my roots down as a Christian and helped turn me away from the world. When I went to Alaska, I wandered into a chapel annex and found the church in a little assembly of God gathering, a fellowship of believers. Uh, They took me in. They cared for me. They made me feel at home. Uh, Most of the people that I worked with in Alaska and ADAC, they wanted to get off that little island, but I upped for six more months to stay there because I'd found a family called the church. When I went to Japan, I found the church in Japan, in uh, Okinawa, Japan. Thursday nights, I went to the basement of the Catholic church in a Catholic uh, charismatic prayer meeting. I went to another little assembly of God church, and the worship leader just kind of adopted me and just kind of treated me as a son. I went to a serviceman center, and they just kind of gave me a place, a home away from home. I ended up in California, and that church adopted me, and that church made me feel at home away from home because I was raised here in the South. They raised me up for ministry. And here in Texarkana, I found a church that here in Texarkana that's received me and embraced me and responded to me. You see, the church is not a building, but the church is people who love Jesus and are committed to follow Him. Well, I'm finishing this morning my series called People Matter. I really enjoyed it in the last few weeks, but this morning I want to talk about church people matter. Church people matter. The people that are in this building with you today, uh, Christians that are meeting across town at a Baptist church or an assembly, uh, Christians that are downtown in a Methodist church across the other side of town, wherever we may be, how many know we are the church, the body of Christ? And I want to give you this morning kind of a theology, a church 101, kind of the basics of what church is, but then I want to get into why I need you, why we need each other in a community of believers called the local church. I think you'll enjoy it this morning. Let's begin in Matthew chapter 16. The message is called Church People Matter. Church 101, let me give you three things, kind of a theology of the church. And first of all, the church is Jesus' idea. Jesus was the one that, 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 that popularized the phrase. Matthew 16, verse 18, he's talking to Peter, and he says, I tell you, Peter, and this is the uh, ESV, you, uh, you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, the Amplified translation, it does just what it says. It amplifies parts of the Greek language, and here's how it translates the verse. Jesus said, I tell you, you are Peter. The Greek word is Petros. It's a large piece of rock. Peter was like the pillar of the early church. He was the voice of Pentecost. Uh, let's see. You're a, a, a large piece of rock. And on this rock, the Greek word Petra, it's a huge rock like a mountain or the rock of Gibraltar. It's referring to Christ himself. He said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell or Hades, the powers of the infernal region will not overpower it. 
So Jesus used this phrase. It's, it was rarely used in the Gospels, but it's used regularly in the epistles, in the book of Acts, in the epistles, the writings, because it deals with bodies of believers all over the, uh, all over the, uh, the Mediterranean world. Now, the word church, it simply means called out ones. It's the Greek word ekklesia, called out of the world to begin to follow Christ. In other words, we are supposed to be different from the world. We love them, but we're supposed to be different. We're called out to begin to follow Jesus. We are an assembly of Christians. And as I said earlier, the church is, is it's simultaneously two things. The church is universal, which how many know there's one church and Jesus is the head of his church. This church is worldwide. You won't find it necessarily in the phone book, but there is one church that we're a part of here in Texarkana. How many know you may look in the phone book, and I think there's 300 churches here in our region, but how many know there's one church in Texarkana, and Jesus is the chief shepherd. He's the Lord of this church. But there's also of this millions of churches around the world. Some are meeting in buildings. Some are meeting in caves. Some are meeting in the woods. Some are meeting in people's homes. Collectively, though, we are the universal church of God. But yet the Scripture shows us that there's also the dynamic of the local church is what we know and experience. For example, there was the church at Rome. He wrote the letter to the Romans, the church at Philippi, the letter to the Philippians, the seven churches of the book of Revelation there in Asia Minor. So the Bible shows us there is one church, but yet there is are multitudes of believers gathering together as the body of Christ. Uh, this church is called the body of Christ. She's called the bride of Christ. One I like is the family of God. Can you say that with me? We are the family. The family of God. You're thinking this week about Thanksgiving. Hopefully it's going to be pleasant, but most of us will be with family members. Some of you are laughing, but that idea of family is supposed to be a part of what we're doing here. This experience is supposed to be more than a sermon and a song and a donut. It's supposed to be an opportunity to connect with other believers, a connecting point. Here's what the scripture I like about the family of God. First Timothy 3, Paul said, even, though, even if I'm delayed, you'll know how to live in the family of God. He's talking to Timothy. Timothy is instructing the church and the believers. The church or the family is the church of the living God. And this church is the support and foundation of truth. So we as the family of God... Have you ever met a Christian who was a stranger, but when you met him, it seemed like I've known you all my life? I remember when I was again in the Navy, and I think it was in Alaska somewhere, but I didn't know a soul, and I just witnessed everything that walked at that time of my life. I mean, I was just talking to people, being friendly to strangers, and I met a Christian, and it just seemed like five or ten minutes. We were in the airport several hours, but we just spent several hours talking and fellowshipping, and I had felt like I was talking to a long-lost friend that I didn't even know until I sat down in the airport terminal. You say, how can that be? It's because the bond of Jesus Christ that we share together. It is because an outlook of life. It is because of value system. It is because of priorities that we share. And guess what? It's the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us and unites us together as the body of Christ. Here's the second thing I want to tell you about this church. Uh, Acts chapter 2, Christians don't just go to church. We share life together. Now, how many of you have kids woke up this morning and said, put your clothes on, kids. We're going to church today. A couple people, listen, we said that all the time. We even say it now. But how many know we go, and it's interesting to say that. You may ride by a building and say, boy, that's a nice-looking church, isn't it? 
But the church is not, or the building is not the church. It is the community of believers that form the church. Acts chapter 2. Now, the early church, it was given birth to on the day of Pentecost. And Peter had preached this great message. And it says, those who accepted his message were baptized. And 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, who knows how many hundreds of people were already followers of Christ, but on this day there were at least 3,000 believers, largely Jewish people, that came to Christ. And here's what I want you to see and understand. These people, many of which had come from all over the Roman Empire, they had come for the Feast of Pentecost. They were gathered together in this Jewish feast. Uh, and how many know when you, when you go out of town, when you go somewhere, you bring a suitcase or two and you bring a little money, but they'd not planned to stay there of this life-changing experience. Christians couldn't get jobs. They wouldn't hire them in the city. There was an extreme prejudice against Christians. So now this huge, large family began to gather. And notice how their, what their life was, was characterized as, characterized as. It says they devoted themselves. In other words, it wasn't just an extra. It wasn't one of the many things on the list. But they were devoted, they were committed to the apostles' teaching. In other words, the, this, well, as we would understand the Scripture today, they learned the Scripture together, they lived it, but they were committed to the fellowship, to the koinonia, to the relationship of believers. So often we may look at a church service as like going to a movie. We go to the movie, we're somewhat polite to people that are around us, but we sit by ourselves, we're kind of away from everyone, and we kind of leave as soon as the movie's over. But that's not a picture of the early church, and later on we'll share the value of that. But they were in community, they were in fellowship together. Notice it says they were devoted to the breaking of bread. This could have been sharing a meal, it could have been the Lord's Supper, and they were devoted to prayer. And all the believers were together, and at that point, they shared everything in common. So as I shared with you now, they were more than just people that had the same value system, but they were people that shared life together. Let me show you a picture. Uh, it's one of our life groups I went to. Uh, this is a Wally and Io's house. It was a marriage group, and they're going to leave it up a few minutes. But as you kind of look at that picture, you'll see that that's an extremely diverse group of people. And let me tell you the difference between that group here and this group on Sunday morning. That group, they're able to talk about life. They're able to share. They're able to enjoy friendship with one another. They're able to open up. There's more time than just a moment at the altar for prayer, but they're able to have real relationship where it's difficult on a Sunday morning, the next 30 minutes, you'll share a monologue message. I'll try to invite you to be involved in it, but it's not the same as sharing life back and forth. I'm telling you, we have some great life groups. I went to one group. It was an all-girls group, and uh, I was a little out of place, but they welcomed me there. And when I got to that group, if, uh, I felt like I was in a chicken yard, if I can use the illustration. Uh, and that's not a derogatory term. How many have seen, how many have seen a, a, a hen and her chicks? Yeah, I want to tell you what, that's an interesting experience because this mother hen is very protective. If, those, if she senses any problems, she's going to pull up her wings and the little chicks will get under there. She'll make sure, and they just kind of walk around together. Well, I felt about half that group were mother hens and the other half were chicks. And uh, they were just walking around scratching, and they were just kind of in one another's lives totally different from men. I mean, when men are together, you know, they're kind of like this, and they've got on a T-shirt that's too small for them, you know, to kind of look big and you know ego is everywhere and they're showing the picture of their deer but these women man they were just oh honey and all this they were caring and they were loving each other 
And I'm going to tell you, something happens when you're able to relate to one another. I guarantee you in this group, there's families that are together today rather than divorced. I guarantee you that this Thanksgiving, there'll be less animosity and less friction at home because they met together, they learned about marriage, but they opened up themselves and they shared life together. And that's what I want to encourage you because you are missing out if all you engage is in a weekend experience because the church is the body of Christ finding a circle of friends to share life together. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Let me give you another one. Uh, the, The third aspect of this theology of church, the church is a spiritual family. Now, as we read in Timothy earlier, family is a key word, but I want you to see here he expounds on it. In 1 Timothy 5, Paul again says... Never speak harshly to an older man, but notice, appeal to him respectfully as you would to your own father. You're treating an older Christian as a father. You talk to younger men as you would to brothers. You're treating older women as you would your mom and younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. So what we're talking in this passage is that the people in this room, Christian people, that there's an opportunity for a family relationship, and it's called the body of Christ. I mean, we all need that. I'm 58 years old, but I've got a couple ladies in the church that treat me like their son. And I may be 58, but I still need a mom right here. Are you with me today? I've got older men in my life that I look to as a dad. I need someone in my life to kind of lean on, to rely on. I had the coolest experience the other day as people were looking to me as a father. It was Wednesday night, and I was just kind of making my way around the church. And I went up to the JBQ, the Bible quiz classroom, and I just kind of poked my head in. I was not trying to be a distraction or anything. But all of a sudden, these kids, elementary-age kids, just started coming up to me. And it, was, and it was the most endearing experience. They were wanting me to just put my hand on them and pray for them. At first, it started out with one and then two. And then I'd never experienced anything like that. But they were just... Not ignoring the teacher, but they were just coming up and they were wanting a father's blessing in their life. And can I tell you, this type dynamic, these type relationships are what we all need as believers in the body of Christ. Uh, I want to share this. Uh, We almost had an opportunity for an uncle relationship yesterday with my daughter, Rebecca. Uh, Artie's in the back there. Artie, wave at everybody. He's a handsome guy. He was singing on stage. I met him last night. I met him, but I said hello at the back. And uh, he said, well, your daughter is outside. And I said, yeah, uh, mom is teaching her how to parallel park. She's 16, ready to get her license. And I thought, well, Uncle Artie, could she use your car? Now, he has a really nice Lexus. Could she use... Could she use your car to kind of practice with? And he started doing this. Oh, pastor, uh, well, uh, tell the truth, aren't we? Yeah. But, but, but we are. Wait a minute. That was just so you'll know there. That was my, my attempt to tell, a, to tell a joke. But we are the body of Christ. We are, have available to us a family relationship that makes life meaningful. Let me give you four things that I think you'll really glean something out of. I need you in the body of Christ. We need you in the local church. And you need us. We need one another. And let me tell you four reasons why. Because there's lots of people that perhaps just treat church as an opportunity to to be inspired by worship or to learn something from the Bible. There's many Christians that don't even go to church. I mean, there's so much technology, they just kind of engage it on the go. But I want to share with you some reasons why I've experienced in my own life why I need the community of the local church. Here's the first one. I need you to help me figure out the right way 
to deal with my problems. Let me say it again. I need you as a fellow Christian to help me work through the struggles of my life. Let me read you a passage. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. It's written by the great apostle Paul, the guy that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Here's what he said. When we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. Now think about being tired and being busy. He said, we faced conflict from every direction. There were battles on the outside. In other words, I was, you know, whatever I tried to do, whether it was registering my car, I couldn't get it done. Uh, you know, the, the terminal broke down when I stood in line to try to get checked out. Uh, I was being persecuted. I was turned down for jobs because I was a Christian. I couldn't get my kid in school because, I, I mean, life was just complicated for him. Conflict from every direction, battles on the outside, and listen, fear on the inside. Now, this is a picture of a person under pressure in life, even though he's a great spiritual man, the Apostle Paul. Notice what he said. But God, who encourages those who are discouraged. How did he do it? He encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. Paul didn't say he prayed an extra 30 minutes. He didn't say he read the Bible longer, though those things are good. What he said is there was another Christian that came along beside me, and he helped me. Now, we don't know how this happened. We don't know what Titus did to help Paul with his conflicts. We don't know if Titus was just an ear to listen to. I mean, sometimes just being able to talk what's on your heart helps you in a person that's safe. Uh, We don't know if he just felt a security. And how many know we can feel secure? For example, if you've ever been in, in, in court and you're the person that all eyes are on you, you're the one that could go to jail, how many know if a friend shows up and just sits in the back and smiles at you, it makes you feel like somebody's in my corner? We don't know what Titus was able to do. Certainly he was not a spiritual superior to Paul in the sense that he was, had more maturity or revelation, but he was a Christian brother that came alongside of him in his hour of need, and he helped him deal with his conflicts, his difficulties, and his fears. And I want to tell you, friends, at that level, I need to hear that from a Christian that knows me, not from somebody out in the world or not, to doc, not Dr. Ruth or not Dear Abby. Are, are you with me today? Let me give you an example. For example, if I let's just say you're a family person, you're living a good Christian life, you've tried to raise your kids right, but you've got a 16-year-old daughter, 17-year-old girl in your home, and she gets pregnant. Now, you've got a conflict right now. If you go to the modern-day Dear Abby, chances are you're going to be encouraged to explore your, abortion, your, uh, your options for abortion. If you talk to a secular group of friends, there's no question. As soon as a conversation comes up, somebody's already Googling where the nearest abortion clinic is. But if I hold the values that life is precious, even if it comes into me, into my life in a way that I didn't anticipate, I've got two things to do, or three things. Number one, somehow I want to I I communicate that what my child did was wrong, but at the same time I want to love my daughter. And how many know that's difficult to do? Sometimes love is permissive, being too permissive, and we need somebody to tell us, hey, look, you need a little tough love here. But somehow I need to figure out how I'm going to love my girl, how I'm going to help her not feel like she's ostracized. But at the same time, there's a little baby that's coming along, and we've either got to raise that child or get that child adopted. And how many know I need a Christian talking to me when this kind of stuff's going on in life? I need someone that shares a biblical worldview, not someone that shares the values of the world, but I want someone that thinks the way that God thinks that can help me through some of these most difficult times of my life. If my marriage is in trouble, I do not want to talk to an angry divorcee. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. I want to talk to someone who understands 
understands the facts, but also someone who will help me walk through and find the will of God. And that's why I need you in the body of Christ. Because you just cannot go and pay $100 to a counselor or $150 and just have them tell you what to do. How many know you need someone that knows you, someone that understands your family, someone that knows the dynamics, someone that's sharing life with you? Come on, look at somebody and say, we need each other in the body of Christ. Yeah. Hey, and it's even hard to look aside at somebody and turn to someone and say that that you don't know. It is. But you need to find in this church a small group of people. That's why part of our mission statement is not only do we want to connect you to God, but we want to help you connect to friends. And friends are where community happens in the church. Let me give you the second reason I need you. I need you when I'm struggling with sin or deception. I need you to come along and help me when sin has got a stronghold in my life and is pulling me back in the world or I have begun to believe the lies in the world as opposed to the truth of Scripture. Go with me to the book of James, James chapter 5, verse 19. It's the last two verses in this book of, in the book of James. James is the equivalent of the Old Testament book of Proverbs. James, the brother of Jesus, he was recognized as a pillar in the early church. But he says this, My, my brothers and sisters... Now, here's the language. Perhaps you've gone to a church, and that's how they referred to each other, as as brother and sister, or brother John, or or sister Linnell. Well, this is where this comes from. It's 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 not just something that's supposed to be titles, but it's supposed to be relationship. Notice what he said. Brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, Now, this is called backsliding. Verse 20 says this, Remember, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Now, if you explore this in the original language, you see that there's an undercurrent of somehow an impact of a person's eternal destiny because of the pull of the world, uh, and it's pulling us back into sin. Now, how many know sometimes the world, well, not sometimes, the world is always trying to pull us away from God. It is a constant attempt to try to pull us off track, to try to drag us off the narrow way and to pull us in the wide path. I want you to imagine for a moment if, for example, you're serving the Lord and, you know, you hear a message like this and you say, well, man, there's just supposed to be friends and people that care about me and people that love me, but you find yourself, you're a little down, you're a little blue, nobody calls you, you, you get a little offended, you start to get a little isolated, and then you get a text message or you get a call from one of your old buddies because, you see, you just started really serving the Lord and got serious. And this person calls you up and they said, hey, why don't you come over to so-and-so's tonight? We're going to have a party. Or maybe we're all going to meet over at Shooter's or we're going to go to the club tonight and, and then we're going to have a party at my house. And you say, well, now you, you, you're kind of feeling a little torn because you still love Jesus. You're still reading your Bible, but yet it's just something, you just, something's not right and the world begins to pull you back. So you show up and it's first time you say, no, you don't want anything to drink but then all of a sudden somebody opens a bottle of your favorite wine and you thought, well, I kind of miss it. And so before you know it, you've had several drinks and they've passed the little joint around several times. You said, no, no, no. And finally you said, well, what's it going to hurt? And something's just pulling you back. 
And all of a sudden, what you said you'd never go back to has got you right back in its life. You're starting to do the same things you used to do. You've quit reading your Bible. Clearly, you've quit going to church. What you need is someone who you've been in relationship with as a Christian to help you who've wandered away from the truth, come on, and bring you back in to relationship with Christ. I can't get this from people I don't know. I can't get this from the the television. I can't get that from the 700 Club or anywhere else. I can only get that from community in the body of Christ, and I can only get it from people that know me. Come on, not just someone that's on the church's Facebook page with how many hundreds of people that are on it, but someone that kind of knows me face-to-face. Are you with me today? Now, I need you to help me if that happens in my life, but I also need you to help me if I wander from the truth in this respect. Wander from the truth can also refer to a deception. Now, I want you to m- be mindful, particularly if you're a younger person and you're a bit confused about, you know, you go to college and, and you're hearing, you, you, God is never mentioned. God is laughed at. You get to watching the show Cosmos, you like Morgan Freeman, you saw him advertise it, and before you know it, you start scratching your head and you say, well, I don't know that I, I, I maybe, maybe God didn't create the world. And then someone says, well, hey, you should really, one of your classmates said, you should read this book by Stephen Hawking. He's a favorite, he's an extremely influential atheist. And uh, you read his book and then you say, well, maybe God doesn't even exist. When I get to that point in life, listen, I may not know as much as a Stephen Hawking, but I can tell you this, there are dedicated Christians out there, come on, that have just as many degrees, just as much influence, and can speak to you in the same scientific terminology, but are deeply committed as believers, deeply committed followers of Jesus Christ that don't go along with the world's party line of evolution or or the new definition of marriage or whatever it is. And when deception is falling in my life, I need a Christian that will follow me and track me down and help me find a way come on, to see that there is truth, and the truth is not just what I hear in the secular world and the media, but the truth is what I hear from the Word of God. Come on, somebody give the Lord another good hand today. I need you. I need you if I wander away from God. And and here's another one, Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And this is one I have to be careful of. I need you to help me stay connected when I feel like isolating myself. Let me say it again. I need you to help me stay connected to the body of Christ when I feel like pulling away and isolating myself. Ecclesiastes 4 says this, verse 9, Two people are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. Now, very broad verse there. But notice the application, verse 10. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Someone that falls alone is in real trouble. Verse 12, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. You remember when you were younger and used to play football? In our little town, we played something called bull in the ring. And you'd have about 15 guys or 20 in a circle around you, and they all had a number, and you were in the center, and he'd call a number, and someone might try to hit you from the back or hit you from the front, and he might call 689, just like that, and you're just looking around for the attack. But the Bible says if two are standing back to back, they can conquer. It even says three are even better for a triple-braided cord or a threefold cord is not easily broken. Let's understand the Scripture just a minute. And again, my point is, I need you to help me not isolate myself. Now, this is not saying time alone is not a good thing. 
the way that we're wired, some of us just do better. Like I'm wired to, if I want to get refreshed, if I want to get, you know, kind of back in my game, I just need a little time alone. It might be an afternoon in the yard. It might be a couple days away. It might be just a couple hours just watching my favorite movie. Whereas some people are wired. So how many are like that? That when you just, you just kind of like to be alone when you want to kind of get yourself. Yeah. Uh, On the flip side, how many, when you need to kind of get kind of pumped up again, you need people around you. Let me see your hand. Yeah. Just the opposite. And you kind of put those two together when your need is to be lifted up. It's like oil and water. They don't mix. But there's a danger when you isolate yourself. Here's the picture. And Christians isolate for many reasons. We isolate because we get hurt. We know that in church we're supposed to love each other, but we actually have not been on the receiving end of love sometimes. We get our feelings hurt. We get offended. Somebody doesn't keep their word to us. I mean, we post on the Facebook page and nobody picks it up. And, you know, we just feel like we've kind of been neglected. Sometimes people isolate themselves because of spiritual pride. We feel like, well, we just know more than anyone. We don't need anybody else. I'm making it just fine on my own. There's a number of reasons people isolate, but I want to give a picture for you when you do. You become like one of these movies, African movies you've seen of a lion and how they hunt. And what they do is they try to find the weaker of the prey. They try to find an antelope or whatever the animal is that's weak, that's by itself, that's alone. And if they can get it all alone, they can get on it and they can, they can kill it. I, I, I saw this picture that stands out in my mind. I can't remember the name of an animal, but it's kind of this like ox-looking thing that's got these huge horns and they come in a point. What is that? Not a ram. What is it? A water buffalo. Okay. I got these huge old horns. I'll never forget this. There was a calf, and they were near the watering hole just kind of mingling around, and the calf had wandered off a little bit, and they saw this group of lions. And all of a sudden, this group of lions uh, uh, attacked this little calf. I mean, they've got it by the legs. They're pulling it apart over it. Well, all of a sudden, all these water buffalo, three or four of them come running at these lions, and with these horns, they hook them, and they run them away from them, and this is calf back to the herd. Well, that's exactly what I need from you when I have isolated myself because the devil wants to pull me down. The devil wants to destroy me. The devil wants to put a wedge between the church and myself because he wants to break relationship and he wants to break family. I need you. Come on, when I'm pulling too far away from the body of Christ. Somebody say praise the Lord. Yeah. Let me give you one more now. I need you to help me to make a difference with my life. I need you for significance. I need someone that is making a mark on the world for God that I can partner with so my life's influence will be greater than I could ever do on my own. Let me give you a passage. Luke chapter 4 or Colossians chapter 4 verse 14. Just a little innocuous phrase. It says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Now, I want you to think about Luke just a second. Luke's life, the lasting legacy of his life, was not the fact that he was a doctor and had a great job and a lot of possessions. Now, we don't know how many literally tens or hundreds of thousands of doctors have been on planet Earth since in the last 2,000 years. But what we know about Luke is Luke was a traveling companion of Paul the Apostle. Paul that wrote all these letters that established all these churches, Luke was hanging along with him. And sometimes in the process, he was writing the gospel of Luke in the book of Acts. So Luke's legacy was not being a doctor. His legacy that he was serving the Lord and he just happened to be a doctor as he went along the journey. 
My wife told me yesterday, she said there was a, 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 they have a, a, a dentist that will often go to southern Mexico. And she said, the dentist told me, she said, you know what? I used to say that I was a dentist who, who went to the mission field. And now the Lord has wanted me to change the way I speak and see myself as a missionary who also does dentistry. And it's a perspective of our life. You see, Luke's, we remember him because of what he did spiritually, not because of what he did medically. And I'm not undermining his career. What I'm simply saying, though, is our career is only a platform because Luke could have taken a different route in life. Luke could have said, you know what, I'm going to go to synagogue on Saturday or I'm going to go to church on Sunday, but, you know, the rest of the week I'm going to put 50, 60, maybe 65 hours in my career. Uh, My wife wants a bigger this and a bigger that. Uh, We want to be able to vacation in Rome, but instead of vacationing in Rome, he'd take missions trips with Paul. And I'm not knocking Rome, but I'm just saying he didn't find legacy in Rome. He'd find legacy on the mission trip. He he found something that was bigger than himself. He could have made money writing medical textbooks probably. He could have been a professor in a school, but instead of writing medical textbooks, he wrote two books of the Bible. Now listen, nothing wrong with medical textbooks, but I'm just saying, if you want to find lasting significance in life, it's not going to be through the possessions. It's not going to be because a building is named in your honor somewhere. It's because of what you've done for the eternal kingdom of Christ. Do you realize you're two generations away from no one even knowing you existed on this planet? Unless you're a famous person and you make the history books or whatever, or you're the first name on Google. But more than likely, let me give you an example. My name, I'm John Henry Miller III. My son is the fourth. The first John Henry Miller was my granddaddy. And my granddaddy, I grew up, we grew up out in the country. We had a farm. When dad got married, they built onto the little house and it became kind of a duplex. So I could have lunch, I could have dinner with mama, my mother, or if I wanted to go to Nana's house and have dinner too, you know, I had the kind of best of both worlds growing up. But I had more fun with my granddaddy. He was involved in my life. I'd go duck hunting, and he'd sit in the truck, and he'd wait for me and share my stories. We'd play together. He'd go to my ball games. But my son never met my grandfather. My son might have gone to his grave one time. And it's almost as vital as he was in my life, my son doesn't even know he's existed, even though he's named after him. Well, do you know we're the same way? But the Bible teaches us it's what we do for Christ that will last forever. You know, why in the world did a guy, uh, uh, Jason and a couple other guys and Rick, he's here too, why did they take a week of their vacation in time and go to Haiti to help put a roof on the little building that we saw just a few minutes ago? It's because it's legacy. Rick's a pharmacist by vocation. Uh, Jason's a builder by vocation. But there's something that's kind of shifted in both their lives is the kingdom of God, come on, is the most important thing in my life. And legacy for God is what matters. Well, listen, he couldn't have done that had we not known Jay Threadgill, are you with me today, who's the missionary there in Haiti, and we went down to partner with him, just like Luke followed Paul and partnered with him and provided service in coming along, and together we do something great for Christ. And I need you to do something bigger that's going to last forever with you together than I could ever do for myself. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord this morning. Let me give you one more here. It's Philippians chapter 4. Now, being a part of a local church isn't always fun or easy. How many can say amen to that? I mean, it might sound easy when we read the scripture that says love one another, but how many know even Christians butt heads sometimes? 
Let me read you a passage. Now, mind you, it's from the letter, uh, the church in Philippians, a letter that Paul wrote this whole church. And he said, he's appealing to two women. He said, I appeal to, a hard word, begins with an E there. I appeal to Iodia and Sintichi. I wonder if their mother just hated them. I don't know. Can you imagine having a name with five vowels and one consonant in it? I'll just call her Sister E. But anyway, I appeal to you two ladies. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. Because you belong to the Lord, and I ask you, my true partner, likely the church that he's writing to here, help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. And here's something that I'll tell you, friends, from 30 years of experience in church life and vocational ministry, you're going to have problems with people in church. I use this little slogan, I'd say that church would be great if it wasn't for people. That one is true. That is not a joke. Because when you have people, you're going to bump heads. You're going to get along. Somebody's going to let you down. Somebody's not going to do their part. You're going to have to pay for their meal, and they don't pay for yours. I mean, things are just going to happen with people that you don't know and don't care about that you could easily walk away from. But the Bible teaches us, listen, work out our differences because we both belong to Christ. We're both a part of the body of Christ. Come on. Jesus said it's by our love for one another that the world would know we're his disciples. And the cause of Christ is greater than any inconvenience that I might have because, listen, Though we may disagree, I still need you as my brother and my sister in the body of Christ. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord this morning, and I'm, I, I'm done today. Why don't you stand to your feet here, and we're going to just kind of close in prayer. And before you think, try to decide if you want a donut with chocolate or sprinkles on it, I want you to stay spiritual with me just a moment. I don't ask the question as we always do, well, what is the Holy Spirit saying to me in this message. Would you just bow your head just a moment and just say, well, Lord, I listened to this guy for 40 minutes. Now, so what? I don't want to be a hearer of the word. As the Bible says, I want to be a doer. So, Lord, how am I doing in my relationship with the body of Christ? Do I just kind of come and kind of quickly slip out the door? Or am I endeavoring to be a a brother and a sister, a father, a mother? Have I taken the time to really get to know people? Have I found a group of friends to share life with? Or have I been hurt by people and closed my heart? Do I need to forgive someone, Lord, that offended me in church? Maybe it was a pastor that let me down a long time ago or an elder or a teacher. And I said, I'll never let myself be hurt like that again. What are you saying to us, Lord? What are you saying to us about our need for other people? See, we need Christians if we want to have lasting legacy because what we're doing together is more than I could do alone. I I need my brothers and sisters to help me to keep from being isolated. I need help when I'm struggling with sin or deception. I need help when I've got problems. I don't need to talk to the world. I need brothers and sisters in my life. So, Lord, we just want to ask you right now, would you help us be the kind of person you want us to be in the body of Christ? Help us to be the brother, the sister, the mother, the father that other people need.
and help me to be able to find people that I need in my own life that I can share this journey with. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church people matter. They matter to God. How many know they should matter to us? I want to make mention, I know there's probably people here today that, you know, you come to this church a while, you like it, but you've never really kind of made the connection. You're just kind of doing like that rather than that. I want to encourage you, if you want to make a step towards making this church your church home, you want to become a part. If you're, whether you've been here 10 years or, 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 or a week, but you just you want to do that. You want to become a part. You want to get connected. I want to encourage you to, after the service, just go right across the hallway. We've got a connect room. Talk to some of the people there, and they'll show you how to make steps, how to join if you want to do that, or, or how to find people like you. But I want to close this way. I want to make an opportunity for prayer around the altar. Because typically what happens when you're doing a, a, you open the Bible, typically there's issues that open up in our hearts. Maybe God brought to your mind today a bad experience you had in church a long time ago that kind of shut you down. And you maybe want to ask God to heal you from that experience. Maybe you just struggle with isolation and, you know, you just don't get close to people and you, you like the music or whatever, but you just don't want to engage. But, but you want to pray and say, Lord, I see that's biblical. I want to ask you to change me. I don't know what it may be, but anything that may resonate in your heart or a need you may have, we'll pray for you before we close the service. But the last thing I want to say that we'd like to pray for is your own personal spiritual life. Because how many know if you can go to church every day of your life, but going to church won't get you to heaven? It'll make the road there easier, but going to church won't, won't get you to heaven. What gets you to heaven is a personal relationship with Christ. And a personal relationship with Christ doesn't depend on the home you were born in. A personal relationship Christ, with Christ starts with a decision to turn and follow Jesus. We have an empty cross over to my left, which in your right, which reminds us of the fact that Jesus died on that cross or a cross like that for my sins. And the Bible says, as many as received him to those he gave the right to become sons and daughters of God, to be adopted in God's family. And when you are willing to put your trust in Christ, to believe in Him and turn and follow Him, there's a change that happens on the inside. And it's called being born again or being saved. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you're here today and you're the Christian who's gotten away from God. You're the backslider. You're the one who's, who's been pulled away. But today you feel God drawing you back and you want to commit your life afresh to Christ. When people come down for prayer, I'm going to encourage you to, if you're making a commitment to Jesus, just to come and stand by this cross, and someone will stand with you as you make a commitment to the Lord. Well, we're going to sing this through one time. Please stay with us uh, before you go. Sing this one time, and then we'll go. But our prayer team is coming to the altar right now. And if you need prayer for any of these things, if you're making a commitment of your life to Christ, if you've gotten away from Christ, you want to come back to God, come let us pray for you today, friends. It could be a miracle moment in your life. You come let us pray. We love you very much much here in your love there's no place i would rather be there's no place i would rather be there's no place i would rather be than here in your love
next few moments, our prayer team is going to stay down front. If you need prayer for anything, we would love to pray for you. Uh, but also, I want to encourage you. Uh, we have donuts and coffee and fruit in the Connect Cafe. Uh, so go grab some food before you leave. Anyway, we love you guys. You can be dismissed at this time. There's no place I would rather be. There's no place I would rather be.